Welcome back, friends! On today's episode, I have Margaret Rubin, and she went through her whole story about a quite traumatic experience with Cytotech and passing a miscarriage at home. Um, It was very painful, bloody, and her midwives didn't tell her anything about what to expect. I know some people can relate to that. Um, So she does a beautiful job telling her story, and we also touched on something interesting that I wanted to reiterate about taking up space and allowing yourself, especially as a woman, to take up space with your emotions, take up space physically, just with your presence, and to allow your grief to take up space for as long as it needs to. I really find this interesting and observe it in myself and a lot of other people when something happens you just kind of want to shrink down and it's interesting because when you allow it to take up space it becomes so much lighter and you share it and that's a little bit of what we do on this podcast I hope that it helps you share um, your grief just that little bit and know that you're not alone because you're not And, yeah, enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Managing Miscarriage Podcast. I am Melissa Whitman, founder of the nonprofit One Generation and our current initiative, Managing Miscarriage. I need your help. Let's take this community to the next level. Here's what you can do. Number one, if you like this podcast, please hit pause and take a few seconds to rate it on iTunes. Number two, donate through our website, managingmiscarriage.com. Number three, share your story. Go to calendly.com slash Melissa Whitman to schedule a time to chat with me. Or number four, join our Patreon page for over 30 more episodes you can't find anywhere else as well as exclusive content. Patreon.com slash miscarriage. That's P A T R E O N dot com slash miscarriage. All the details are linked in the show notes. Enjoy the episode and thanks for tuning in. So, Margaret, you had a miscarriage at 12 weeks, found out it was a missed miscarriage after actually hearing the heartbeat at seven weeks, which always gives us this hope that, oh, everything's fine. And we want to hear the whole story. So take us to the beginning. Sure. Um, So I just wanted to start off by saying thank you, first of all, for what you do. Because um, when I was fresh out of this, I felt like I had so little information, even though it happens to so many people. And listening to the stories on this podcast was one of the key things that helped me process my grief and process the trauma of everything. And I just am really appreciative that there are people who will sit down and listen to stories like this because I'm sure it can become a lot, Um, but I'm just really thankful and it was really healing for me. And then I'm just also really sorry for anybody else who's listening to this who's maybe still really fresh in it and I know what you're feeling and I hate that you're feeling it, Um, but I, I found this to be really healing, so I hope that it's helpful for them too. That's really sweet. Yeah. Thank you. It's true. <laughs> um, 
So yeah, so I've been married a little over a year. My husband and I have been together for four years. We got married on our um, third anniversary, uh, which is pretty fun. We have the same dating anniversary as our wedding anniversary. Oh, that's so fun. Yeah. And so one of my bargaining things, I'd always wanted kids. And we talked about having kids on our second date. And somehow he still stuck around, even though I'm sure that seemed really crazy. But it's <laughs> something I always wanted. <laughs> yeah, he's a real sweet pea. Um, so we had bargained like six months and then we would start trying. So my Christmas present this year was that we would start trying <laughs> in January. And so um, we did and we actually got pregnant really quickly, which I kind of didn't expect. I have a lot of friends who had struggled, really struggled to um, conceive. And so I was really surprised we got pregnant on the second month. Um and it was just sort of like, wait a minute, is this real? Is this really happening? It was actually Valentine's Day when I found out. And uh, the first person I told was the cashier at Target because I ran to Target to go buy a little like Valentine, happy Valentine's Day, dad, <laughs> and told him. And it was really oh, funny. Awesome. Yeah, I just could not keep it a secret, which kind of plays into the miscarriage story as well. I was so excited. I wanted to tell everybody. So we found out then and I had, um, I had, uh, gone to my my general practitioner who does family medicine she also delivers and so we um wanted to just sort of get it the initial checkup like confirm at the doctor and everything and my hcg levels were high and sure enough i was pregnant and i had been reading like i don't know eleventy thousand pregnancy books before this and um I just knew that information is really helpful. I'm the kind of person who likes a lot of information. So I wanted to feel very as prepared as I could going into pregnancy. Um, and so I knew that you could get an early ultrasound. And so I had asked our doctor, you know, I really wanted to get that to like make sure that there's a heartbeat. And I don't know, I did not know about missed miscarriage. Of all the pregnancy research I had done, I had never heard of a missed miscarriage, but I knew that if you had a heartbeat early on, that that was a good way to like see if the pregnancy was viable. So right around um, seven weeks, I think it was seven weeks on the day, we went in, or no, six weeks and five days, actually, we went in for our ultrasound and we got to see this tiny little shrimp on the screen this little like it actually hadn't even really curled yet it was just still a little straight little line but I could see the flickering heart and she let us hear it and it was just like wow 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 it was the most incredible sound and Spencer my husband and I looked at each other and we were like oh my god this is real after that point we pretty much started telling everybody that we were pregnant um told our friends we told our family um, I had, I waited a few more weeks, but I was slowly telling some coworkers that I was close with. Um, we were just so excited and it was so happy. Uh, yeah. And so, I mean, early pregnancy was like any other normal pregnancy. I was not too, too nauseous, but my mom kept telling me she didn't have any nausea when she was pregnant with me and my siblings. And so she said, oh, don't worry about that. You're not nauseous. My boobs hurt like crazy. I was exhausted and napping all the time. And um, those things continued. The nausea pretty much went away, um, but my breasts were still really sore. And I was so tired and napping all the time until about 10 weeks. And then around 10 weeks, I remember noticing I felt really good. And I mentioned that to my, um, my provider, I had my eight week checkup 
And this is kind of where the story really starts. So went in for our eight week checkup. And I remember saying to her, you know, I, I'm not feeling super sick and pregnancy so far has been pretty easy. I've just been really tired. And um, we did see the heartbeat and it was a little bit low at that appointment. Um, it was around 110. So it's not super low, not low where they would have said, hey, this is a threatened miscarriage, but it was lower than it probably should have been. And the midwife that I was seeing, I asked her if we could see it again on the ultrasound. I had this sort of like just uncomfortable feeling. I really wanted to check and just make sure everything was okay. And she said, sorry, no, you know, we don't have ultrasounds in the office, but if you're having pregnancy symptoms, then we'll just, you know, if you're not bleeding, um, don't worry about it. And we'll go, uh, we'll check it again at your 12 week appointment. And I thought, oh, okay, well, if I'm not bleeding, then that must mean everything's fine. So of course, like I'm sure other, every other pregnant person does this. Every time you go to the bathroom, you know, you check. Oh my <laughs> gosh. That's I had yeah. I had no bleeding. I had okay. no spotting, no cramping, nothing, no cramping, okay. absolutely nothing. Um, the only change in retrospect that I realized something was wrong was that the symptoms had gone away, but yeah. I had mentioned that normal. at the appointment and they said, yeah, no problem. You're kind of nearing the end of the second, or, you know, the first trimester. So not unusual for that stuff to go away. So our 12 week appointment comes along. We had pretty much, we hadn't announced it like on Facebook, but everybody that we had seen in person knew at that point that we were pregnant. I had told my whole office. Um, I don't think Spencer had told anybody at his work yet, but, uh, all of our, our immediate circle of friends and stuff like that knew. So we went in for a 12 week appointment. I was so excited. I was showing at that point too. I didn't fit into my pants. My belly had popped. Um, I had to go out and buy some maternity jeans, which is one of the most mind bending things about a missed miscarriage is how <sighs> like your belly still grows. Even yes. if the baby doesn't, it's really yes. bizarre. And, um, went in and so they put the Doppler on my belly and uh, they, there was no heartbeat on the Doppler. And I, at first I was like, Oh God, Oh God, you know, that sinking feeling of like, I know they should be able to hear it by now. And then the midwife was nice. She said, you know, sometimes I'm a little bit overweight. So she was like, sometimes with bigger moms, you know, you can't hear it right away, but let's get the ultrasound and we'll check. So they brought in the ultrasound and of course Spencer's holding my hand and he's like, it's going to be fine. Everything's fine. Relax. It's so it's okay. And they brought the ultrasound in and we couldn't find anything over my belly with the wand. And so I knew at that point that something was not right. Um, so they brought in the, the vaginal one and uh, did that. And then immediately the little sack popped up on the screen. And I remember looking at it and going, oh, it's so small. Because it was so tiny. It was just this little, little tiny thing that hadn't, it hadn't grown. And I could tell there was no, there was no sound. There was no heartbeat. And so the midwife looked at me and she, I remember she said, you know, I'm sorry, there's no easy way to tell you this. <clears throat> and it was like, I don't, I, I almost like being sucked up in a vacuum. <laughs> it's uh. like, yeah. This gravitational pull of just like, what, you know, immediately the world just flipped upside down. And I, I heard what she said and I knew it was true, but it was, 
impossible to comprehend. And my brain was just rapidly processing, but how, how, how I didn't, I haven't had any bleeding. How is this possible? Yeah, I my my belly's signs. growing. And, yeah. yeah. That, and I, I felt crazy <laughs> for weeks. I felt crazy. But in that moment I was like, how could that be? Like I have a bump in my belly and this baby is so little, how could this be? And so she said, you know, this is something called a missed miscarriage. It's not uncommon, but it's not super common, especially to have gone as far along as I did. So the baby measured exactly seven weeks. So it probably passed away within days of our first ultrasound. Um, and so that lower heart rate likely was, it probably was on the decline. And we just caught it at a point where it was somewhat normal. If we had waited a few days, I'm sure we would have seen that it had slowed or stopped. Um, but she, she, she just said, yeah, this is a missed miscarriage. Actually, she called it a missed abortion, which I don't love that term. What? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, this I have some midwife? things to share. Yeah, this is the midwife. I, I found out later, uh, honestly, a huge part of my trauma was actually this particular midwife. I found out later, she I was like one of the last patients that she saw. She was retiring and she had a military background, so she was pretty stern. But she she like had no tolerance for my emotions. I started to cry, obviously. And I was yeah. trying to understand like why, how, what, tell me, tell me what I can know. So I have some sense of information and control because I just was blindsided. Well, it's like something to grab onto because you're just right. spinning in a black hole. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I remember I started to cry. She, she immediately went into, you know, these are the options. You can take a pill, you can have a DNC or you can wait. And I... And then I, I'm I'm pretty heavily crying, I think, at this point, or just, you know, sniffling and starting to weep. And she looked at my husband and she said, she's not hearing me. Uh, so I'm going to tell you these are her options. And that, like, stopped me in my tracks. I was like, excuse me. I can't believe she just said that. <laughs> I couldn't believe she said she's not listening, you know. It was just so degrading in that moment. It's like, yeah, I'm having some emotions, but I'm still hearing what, I, what I'm what i saying. So I felt like I needed to make a snap decision to sort of prove to her that I was listening. Sure. And the thought of, you know, carrying the baby around longer, knowing that I had been carrying it for about five weeks and it wasn't alive was already kind of like hard for me to even think about. Um, so I knew that wasn't really an option. And um, the DNC I knew required anesthesia. And so that kind of freaked me out. It was like, oh, I don't want to go to sleep. I don't even know if that's really what happens. But in my mind, that was what had to happen. And that was scary to me. So I said, okay, well, I'll take the pill. And um, we literally left that clinic with a pamphlet, which later I found out just had poems in it. It was poems about miscarriage and loss and a prescription. I didn't have any information. I remember asking her, like, what do I expect? What's going to happen? And she said, it'll feel like period-like cramps, and um, you'll have some some period-like bleeding. And I said, well, what's going to come out? What do I do? She said, oh, we, well, it's the products of conception, which is such an un <laughs> an unkind term. The products of conception, you don't need to worry about. It'll just, it'll go right in the toilet. I'm like, oh, okay. So I... I thought there must not be very much that comes out. It was so early. It must just be mostly blood. Thankfully, I had had one friend who had had a miscarriage um, earlier that year, and she called me. I, I told her, and she called me, and she said, I want to 
talk you through what you're going to experience. And so an angel, oh my God, like the only person, my saving grace, I think I would have been absolutely terrified had I not spoken to her because she said, it's going to hurt. It's going to be really messy. This is what you need to do. You know, it's going to be painful. It's going to take a long time. And everything else I had found online, you know, there's some varied things, but that is very true to what I experienced. And I know having listened to the podcast, I know everybody's story is a little bit different, but a huge reason of why I wanted to share my story is because of what happened to me with Cytotech. Um, or I can't remember what the other name for it is, but Cytotech is what they call it. Yeah. Yeah. Misoprostol. So I had, I got the prescription. I think this part is interesting too. We live in North Carolina and it's a pretty religious state. Um, we have a lot of interesting dynamics around like reproductive health and stuff. And I really got to experience that full on when we went to the pharmacy. Of course, Um, you know, already I felt like I had blood tied to my legs of like walking to almost like walking to a, I don't know, an executioner or something. It just, I didn't want to do it. You know, I felt like I was ending, I was willfully separating from this baby and it was just really hard for me to even process, but I knew it had to be done. So I felt like I had bodies like tied to my legs and I'm dragging them through the Walgreens <laughs> and we get up to the counter and I give him the prescription. And he takes a really long time. It's going back and forth and he comes back and he goes, um, ma'am, I just have to make sure I, I just have to confirm you're not pregnant. And I was like, uh, I am pregnant. And he goes, well, I can't give you this because this is an abortion medication. And I said, okay, well, I, I am pregnant, but my baby's already dead. <laughs> And he kind of like looked at me just with this, oh my God, look. What did I just say? In hindsight, I felt really bad (laughs) because I just gave him this deadpan stare, having cried my eyes out for 12 hours. And I just looked at him and said, my baby's already dead. And he was like, oh God, oh God, I'm so sorry. (laughs) And so he, I got the medication. I just, you know, he had to read me this whole little pamphlet about ending your pregnancy and it was really bizarre. It was a really bizarre experience. And I remember my husband like had white knuckles on the countertop, just wanting him to stop and just give us the bag and let us go home. It was just a really unusual, a really bizarre situation just added to the trauma that we were already experiencing. So got home, I had to insert the medication. um, And I kind of just prepped for to be uncomfortable. I had my heating pad. I was laying down watching TV. Took about four hours or so for it to kick in. And when it kicked in, it was like immediate. I had to, I immediately, I think I maybe had 20 minutes or so of what I would consider period like cramping. And then I was like, I can't lay on the couch anymore. I need to go, I need to go upstairs. And I had to get on my hands and knees. And this was around lunchtime, I think. I think I inserted everything probably around nine or nine 30. And so around lunchtime I was up in our bedroom and the only way I was comfortable was on my hands and knees, or I was on my knees leaning over our bed and like labor. Yeah. I mean, these were full on contractions. It was one after the other. They lasted about 45 seconds every minute. So I had about 15 seconds of rest in between them. That was just like my whole stomach felt like it was seizing and it was extremely painful. It was really overwhelming. I had to 
thank God I am as like type A. I, I remember thinking to myself, like I'm a religious person. I remember thinking to myself, God had really prepared me for this because I had already like watched some of the, you know, I was only 11, 10 weeks along and I had signed up for the online like birth classes and I had yeah. already watched some videos about how to handle your breathing. I had already talked to my doula and <sighs> I really had some of these skills that I needed to get myself through this. Um, already available to me. And I was so thankful for that because I needed them. So I, I had these contractions, um, for hours and I want to say probably about three, four hours in, I started vomiting and, um, was just Were you bleeding. No. So still no bleeding, no ridiculous bleeding. contractions. Yeah. And then it was vomiting. about five or so hours, no blood oh, at all. Gosh. So finally, I was just overwhelmed. I'm like, I need to get in the shower. We were calling my doula. Like, what do I do? I, this is unbearable. They, the nurses um, told me to just take Tylenol. And in hindsight, I ended up meeting with another midwife after this. And she was like, I can't believe they didn't give you pain medication. Normally, I prescribe Percocet when I give outside attack, just so you can get through it. And I'm like, that yeah. would have been nice. <laughs> yeah. That would have been nice. There, uh, The silver lining of this experience, and I'm jumping around a little bit, but I would say the silver lining of having gone through such a long labor was that it, it really was like labor. And um, I felt like I really was able to deliver that baby. And it, in a way, I was really proud of myself for that. And kind of like me and this little body worked together to bring it outside. And I don't know, there was something very empowering. And I yes. actually did get like a rush of euphoria when it was all done. And maybe it was just because I was so relieved that it was done. But I had that, obviously, I didn't have anything to bond with. But I had that feeling of like, I am woman, hear me roar. Oh. I can do anything. Fucking did it. Yeah, I fucking did it. Yeah. So I was wondering if I could swear on this. Yeah, why not? <laughs> so yeah, so around four or five hours in, I started vomiting. And um, then we were calling the midwives like, is this normal? Nobody had prepped me at all. And this was so far beyond what they had told me, you know, period, like cramping for three to four hours. I'm like, I'm five hours in, I'm not even bleeding. I'm throwing up. This is unbearable. But my doula recommended that I get in the shower. So I got in the shower and just put it on all the way hot on my back and let, you know, let the hot water and man, that helped amazing. So I already know some great like labor techniques because it helped right away. Um, and that actually interestingly stopped the contractions. And so once I got out of the shower, they had kind of gone away. And so I had about an hour rest. And my mom and I, my mom had flown, um, she was actually on vacation when I called her and she drove all the way from Maine to North Carolina to get there and be there with me, which was so wonderful. because I really needed the support. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, so she was there and she and Spencer were just rubbing my back and trying to help me breathe through it. And I'm, you know, I was being a laboring mom, like, don't rub up, only rub down, <laughs> trying to just saying that's not, that's not how I want it. And yes. I was just super in the zone because I was so miserable, um, just trying to breathe and get through each, each contraction. So my mom and I were laying in bed watching Queer Eye and had a little break and, you know, just getting a little bit of like hugging and crying out. And then they started back up again. 
And my sister-in-law's had two kids, um, both of them she had naturally, and she ended up coming over to just be support and bring some food. And she got there like right as the contractions were starting back up and they were worse than they had been before. It was just excruciating. I mean, I really was like trying to count like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, because I couldn't breathe. Um, It was overwhelming, blinding pain. And she came in, she was like, you are in active labor, you're, you're, you're dilating. And so she started doing massage, some, some labor massage on my back. And, oh my gosh, I literally felt my cervix click open. Like it almost felt like a click. Like I just felt something pop and, um, everything fell out. And so, um, I started, I said, oh my gosh, it's coming out. And I stood up and I ran into the bathroom and you know, at that point I just started, I like, I was sad. I wanted it to be over, but then I was like, oh my God, it's really over. And I'm going to yes. look down and I'm going to see something horrible because this feels way bigger than what I thought it was going to be. And interestingly, I had passed the sack fully intact, which I've heard is not all that common. No. Uh-uh. Um, and so the midwives so later on, yeah, it fell out into my hands and it was about the size of my hand. It looked like a big fleshy avocado. It was Mm -hmm. just a big piece of meat. And I, I didn't know what it was. I had not been prepared. I, no one had told, I had no idea that the sack looked that, or had it been that big and that it would have still grown, you know, to a 12 week size, even though the baby wasn't 12 weeks. And it was really mind bending. So I'm looking at this thing going, is that a placenta? What is this? I didn't know, but I just knew it was in my hands. And I, I was like totally traumatized at that point. I started wailing and just sobbing, crying. You know, there's blood everywhere and it's all over my hands and I've got this thing in my hands and I'm fascinated and looking at it and trying to understand and process what's happening. All I could say, I remember looking up at my husband and just screaming, this is so fucked up. This shouldn't be happening. Oh my gosh. This is the most fucked up thing ever. It's not funny, but it was, it was not funny at the time. But looking, looking back at myself in that moment, I, oh my God, it's like out of body. I'm, I've really processed a lot of the trauma and the grief, which I'll talk about in a bit. And so now it it is, I've been through some trauma before. um, And I, when I noticed when I process trauma, it really does become like an out of body thing. I can look back at myself in that moment and not really connect with it. And that's kind of where I am now where I can look back at it and go, Oh my gosh, that poor girl, that poor girl, that poor version of me in that moment, I just want to hug her so badly and say, it's going to be okay. Because in that moment, it was just dark. It was so dark. Um, so yeah, the sack came out and I, I didn't know what to do with it because they told me, you know, it would just be blood and just flush it down the toilet. And I'm like, my baby's in there. I can't do that. You know? And I, I just remember telling Spencer, we have to bury it. I can't, what else am I supposed, there's no other option. We have to bury this baby. I don't know where it is. I don't, I'm not going to dig around in this thing, but like, interestingly enough, um, the baby actually came out separately. It had slipped out of the sack. And so it came out in its own little sack a few minutes later. Um, and it was actually really cool to see. It was this tiny little thing. It was about the size of my thumbnail and it looked exactly like it did on the baby apps, you know, just this little fleshy colored, little shrimp with two little black dots and tiny little paddles for hands. And I mean, it really looked exactly like I knew what it was because I had looked at all the baby app pictures and I thought, Oh my God, that's the baby. 
And um, I'm actually super surprised. You're catching me at a very good time in my cycle where I'm not, <laughs> I'm not emotional right now because I have not been able to tell the story without crying in a while. But it was it was really. Um, so did that come out right after? A little bit. I think it was maybe 20 minutes or so later. So you're still having cramping still. Did yeah. it ease up at all? It eased up a lot. I was okay. just having like almost like uh, echo cramps. Like they weren't okay. 45. At that point, they were, you know, every five minutes or so. It was, okay. but I was like pushing the rest on. Right. Yeah. So it, so what I think ended up happening was the sack was actually sitting on top of my cervix. Um, Cause I had no bleeding until the sack came out. And then so, it all, yeah. And like then it plug. all came mm-hmm. out at once. So I thought I was hemorrhaging at one point. We were really frightened because there was just an overwhelming amount of blood um, and it all came rushing, gushing out. And so I just had to stand in the shower. Of course, that made it worse because water and blood makes it look like there's like yes, gallons. 10 times. Yeah. Uh-huh. So we thought I was dying and um, I was feeling very faint at that point. And just, you know, I was overwhelmed. I was okay, but that was pretty pretty frightening, especially for my husband. I got it, you know, to talk about him for a second, like it took me several weeks to even realize that he had experienced this too, because it's just so overwhelming. You like, I could only feel my feelings, but it took a while. And then I remember one time I woke up and I just thought, Oh my God, he drove us home from that appointment. He he saw me go through this. He saw me in pain and he was helpless. Like how must that have been for him? But he was incredible. And he, he did end up taking the the baby outside and he buried the baby and we've since planted a beautiful tree where the baby is. Um, but yeah, that was a really dark night. It was thunderstorming. I remember that. So I had, I saw, looked out the window and I saw my husband like outside in the rain, digging a hole in the ground. And it was just like a movie, like a, yeah, it, the weather was very appropriate, but it was it was really like like a sad movie. It's like, wow, okay, <laughs> that's the worst thing I've ever seen. I don't ever want to see that again. Um, but yeah. So, what were your midwives saying through this whole thing? Because you called nothing. them, right? Yes, multiple and they just times. said, "Oh, yeah." It's fine. They said, "Oh, yeah, that's normal." Uh, they told me to put pressure on my uterus to try and stop the bleeding. And to lay down. So I did that. Um, and that did help. But they pretty much just said, you know, you're on your own, <clears throat> which I felt like was a the only thing, you know, I, I was sad and angry about the miscarriage for a while. But the thing that has caused me some lingering anger and frustration was just how I was treated by the midwives to walk to allow me to do something like that at home with no preparation of what to expect or physically or no communication like it'd be one thing if they sent you home and said okay we'll talk you through it as it starts happening right but or to say hey there's there's going to be more blood than normal yes you know it's going to hurt hurt. (laughs) they just they I I I think honestly she probably has never experienced it herself Uh, otherwise I don't know how you could describe it as period like cramps yes Um, and we I have had a couple guests that said you know I did have period-like cramps, and that was it, usually when it was really, really early. And I feel like providers just cling to those very rare stories and then ignore the fact that a majority of them, especially when cytotech is involved, are, I mean, genetic. 
Yeah. Yes. Yes. I mean, even when passing it naturally. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But they seem to cling to that like period. And and who knows, maybe that's what the pharmaceutical companies have written in the pamphlet. Tell your patient, blah, 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 blah. But that, why not err on the side of actual information? This is going to be very intense, you know, blah, blah, blah. And anyway, I'm preaching to the choir here. No, I mean, truly, like, I I don't think I would change the way I did it because I actually, like I said earlier, the process of laboring with that baby gave me a very strong sense of motherhood. It wasn't the version of motherhood that I wanted, but it, it made me feel like I was doing my job. I was delivering this baby and I was bringing it through the world to the world through my body, the way it would have in six months, you know, but, um, and I think if God forbid I ever had to go through it again, even after all this, I think I probably would do that again. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just would be much more prepared and probably have painkillers. Yeah. Um, I did all four. I passed all four naturally because I felt like I needed that, that exact time that you're talking about. I needed that to process. Yeah. And it wasn't, I mean, very painful and everything else but going through that process I feel like it really it helped me it helped me a lot I agree and you know I definitely think there's in some ways maybe um I think the cytotech was particularly violent because I don't think my sac had fully detached I think that's why it took so long and the baby just wasn't it hadn't separated on its own or I probably would have shown some bleeding so I'm sure in a few weeks or so, I, it would have been maybe a little bit less painful. But yeah, I mean, yeah, you're that, that's totally how I felt about it was it was like a, a right of motherhood. I mean, in fact, one of the most profound things, my husband, you know, in the middle of all these horrible contractions, he leaned down and he put his face next to mine and he just said, you're doing the hard work. And, you oh. know, he was saying what he's supposed to say when I'm in labor with a live birth and I remember just looking at him and I go that's what moms do (laughs) and it it really felt like that I was like I am being a mom to this baby right now and I'm going to bring this baby out and I'm going to suffer to do it but I don't know it was it needs to be done yeah and I I got Mm -hmm. to hold it in my hand and I know I wouldn't have been able to do that with a DNC so there were some really beautiful things that came out of all that dark and ugly part of it but the the big injustice I think for me was just going into something so horrible with no preparation and even if they had just said there's going to be a physical sack and it's going to be a lot of blood and this is you know this is the range of experiences that you might have and we see this a lot here are some resources of what it might feel like or look like or be like anything like that would have been helpful I had to learn I think I watched a YouTube video. There was a YouTube I found about a mom who shared her miscarriage story. And the night before I took the medication, I watched that just to try to get some sense of like, what the hell is about to happen to me? And that that was what I felt was just so unfair. And I know not everybody has had that experience and I've since switched practices, but that was, that was pretty rough. Um, so on top of that, after everything was over, my my family just loved on me. My husband's family came. And uh, yeah, gosh, what else? I'm trying to think through the parts of the story I wanted to share. And I've lost my train of thought. So you passed the sack. 
and then you passed the baby and did your husband bury both yeah out in the yard put it together out in the yard and man that was interesting for a few days afterwards I had I that maternal separation you know is is pretty violent and I really wonder if it'll feel like that when there's a, a baby here too if just physically that emptiness is the same because that achy womb of like there's something that was supposed to be here and it's not here was very very strong um and I had a lot of anxiety about the baby being outside and underground I kept having nightmares something was going to dig it up which is pretty dark but it's true (laughs) um I've since made peace with that but I would go out and like check on it to make sure that the ground hadn't been moved or disturbed or anything like that um, I just had to make sure that everything was okay. It's so sad. I'd look back at, like I said, that version of myself and I'm just like, oh, you poor thing. So I definitely was having a lot of anxiety right afterwards. Um, I had a lot of fear about my husband going back to work. I kept being terrified something was going to happen to him. I had a lot of anxiety that he was going to die, which I didn't expect. That was a very weird side effect from all of this. Um, and I was still pretty heavily, heavily bleeding. So I was at home. I had told all my coworkers and they were amazing and stepped in and uh, they could tell something like I just was honest. And I said, I'm really dealing with trauma. This was pretty bad and I need to take time off from work. And I'm a realtor. So this was in April that this happened. And uh, April's like the busiest time of year for real estate. I think I had 10 different deals happening at once. And so I was just like, I can't, I can't do it. I need somebody to step in because I couldn't even hear my own thoughts. They were amazing and stepped in and I was at home on bed rest. And um, I started having these really weird side effects. I was having what I later found out was pelvic floor spasms. And one of the other things, big reasons I wanted to share was in case anybody else experiences this, because I was totally left out to dry by the medical community. I called the midwives multiple times. I went to the emergency room once um, and they were very, very unhelpful. The midwives at one point told me I was constipated, but I I was having these shooting pains sort of up my rectum is the best way to describe it and a tugging feeling in my uterus. So it, it felt like my pelvic floor was being pulled down and there was a shooting pain going up the backside. Um, anytime I sat down, sat upright, walked around too much, it would shoot pains up through the the middle of me basically. And I, I couldn't function. I, the only place I was comfortable was laying completely flat in bed. Um, again, being a religious person, I, in some ways I'm like, okay, God, God had to like really take my feet out from underneath of me so that I properly rested because I, um, I would have tried to rush back into work and try to rush back into doing things normally. But because of this, I, I physically could not because I couldn't move and it lasted for about 10 days. Um, I went to the doctor multiple times because I said, I'm, I'm in so much pain. What can you do? And they kept just saying, you're constipated. It's, I don't know. I've never heard of this before. Finally, I ended up seeing a different midwife at the practice and she just went to the back office. She listened to me, went to the back office for a little bit, came back and she goes, well, I looked it up and this is a reported side effect of Cytotec. It's a rare one, but pelvic floor spasms is a reported side effect. So she said, you know, I'm going to give you a muscle relaxer and see what happens. So that was another thing that just made me so angry 
because on top of the suffering of the miscarriage, I was suffering after and I felt trapped in my body. Like I am never going to escape this miscarriage. I can't get back to normal. My body is broken. When will this end? When is this going to end? I can't even walk around. I was very, very in a dark place. And if somebody had just tried a little bit and looked up, you know, the medication that they gave me, I, I feel like a lot of that suffering could have been avoided. And so that made me pretty mad. Um, And I was really, I was really angry about that for a while, because again, it just felt like an injustice. You know, I'm in uh, I'm a good advocate for myself and I, I'm good at like saying, Hey, something's not right. And I was bringing this to their attention and they just kept telling me, Oh, well, take a laxative. You're probably constipated. I'm like, this is not constipation. Um, so that was pretty rough, but I had a wonderful, wonderful support group of people who just rallied around me and the people like, oh my gosh, the the beautiful thing that has come out of this experience is watching how other people have handled my grief. And I have learned so many skills for how to help other people through their grief in the future, because I think it is so brave to come and knock on the door of a grieving person and ask to come in and just to sit. And I had people do that who I never would have expected. Coworkers, neighbors, people brought us gifts and meals and just company. And I'm an extroverted person and I I really process my feelings out loud. So for me, talking was the most healing thing. Oh my God. I probably told the miscarriage story like uh, well over a hundred times. We decided to share on Facebook when it happened and I really, it was very important to me that people knew that this baby was here and that baby existed. And I mean, we, I was 12 weeks. We had already bought the props for our announcement. Yeah. We were going to, it was April 12th when I lost the baby and we were planning to announce at Easter, which I think was the week after or like 10 days after or something. We were just waiting for our 12 week appointment to go well. And then we were going to announce our little, um, some bunny is joining the family. I think is what I had bought these little like Easter peeps of different sizes and was really excited for that. And I just said, you know what? Fuck it. I'm still announcing this pregnancy. I'm just going to announce it differently than I thought. And that was probably the best decision I ever made because I had people reaching out to me that I haven't talked to in a long time, or I have followed, you know, knew from, had kept in touch with on Instagram or Facebook from college. And they shared, you know, I had went through this, if you ever need to talk. And they literally would listen and I could talk through it and they would share their story. And that's kind of what got me on to listening to the podcast too, was to be able to continue that and listen to other people's stories. There's some really wonderful camaraderie in talking with other people and listening to other people's stories. It does truly help you feel less alone. Um, But my gosh, so many wonderful friends just came and sat with me and brought us meals and brought us flowers and, and really let us grieve. And I think that was so important. I've heard a lot of people on your podcast share, you know, going back to work right away or not telling anybody. And I understand that's a completely personal decision, but for me, I really needed, um, I really needed it to be okay for me to grieve. And it was because I had shared, I'd shared the happy news. So other people were sad with me. 
and yeah you weren't sharing two pieces of news at the same time yeah yeah Mm -hmm. and so it was just so healing for me to be able to to you know talk it out and tell the story over and over again and god bless the people who listened to me tell it like 15 times like my husband I think I drove him crazy because he could hear me on the phone and um we grieved very differently he and I but I think that's pretty normal. That's so normal. Yeah. Yeah. That's super normal. Yeah. What was the most unexpected slash helpful thing that someone did? So obviously with your personality, being able to tell the story was immensely healing, but what did someone do that you, you're like, okay, I'm going to do that for someone else at some point. My neighbor, um, knocked on our door one day and she had a little potted plant and we had just moved into our neighborhood six months before. And so we had met everybody, but weren't super close. And I think I had told her I was pregnant on a, like out on a walk. I had seen her and let her know. And she was a doula. So she was all excited. She brought, um, a poem over and we actually named our baby that we named the baby Lennon, Lennon, Sibley Rubin. And, um, I didn't know if it was a boy or a girl, but I just felt like this little life needed a name. And she brought over a poem about uh, a lost baby. It was a really beautiful poem about snowdrops. And um, she put Lennon's name at the top of it. And just having somebody else use that baby's name uh, was such a meaningful gift to me. I think it really took me back that this relative stranger showed up and recognized my child. And like, I, I really can't describe how helpful that was, but the other, I would say that was probably the the biggest gesture. Um, and it really surprised me. I just thought that was really brave of her to come and, and step into our grief like that, not knowing us very well. And it has emboldened me to do the same and not be afraid of grieving people in the past. I had felt like that. And I think that's the nice thing when you experience grief is now you know what it's like and you you can be more, you are empathetic, not just sympathetic. Yes, you can hold space for them. Yeah. And just be with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've learned that new skill. I'd always considered myself to be a very empathetic person, but I had never really walked through grief before. And so now I have, I want to keep doing that and um help just sort of hold yeah hold space for people and not be afraid to go knock on the door when something horrible happens and say I'm here with you because that was it just made me feel less alone in that moment I had people that were there willing to hug me and let me cry and let me talk and not be afraid of me um yeah what was the other thing uh the other thing was a a book um and I can't remember what it's called I didn't write it down but it was a really beautiful book about um, grieving. I'll have to send it to you. You can put it in your show notes, but it was a workbook about grief and specifically grieving a lost pregnancy. And it was extremely healing for me. Um, it walks you through prompts, like what are things that you would have, uh, missed or what, what were things that you were excited about for this baby? And what do you think they might've looked like? Um, what are things that you're going to miss about being pregnant? Like really gentle prompts that walk you through different things to think through. And I remember one day, probably a month or so after the miscarriage, I sat down and decided to work through it. And it really was like going to therapy. Um, 
I'll, I'll get the name of it and send it to you, but it was just such a healing exercise. I would really recommend it to anybody who has gone through pregnancy or even infant loss. Um, it's very well suited to that. It's a very, very gentle book written by a mom who's experienced loss and kind of knows the right questions to ask. And it felt like I had released a lot of that grief after I finished that book, I would say. It was it was really, um, really healing for me. It sounds like it allowed you to go there. Yeah. And, and it was writing. Writing has always been a good way for me to process stuff. Um, okay. And so writing it out helped me to to solidify how I was feeling about it. And I just think for anybody who maybe doesn't want to talk to a therapist, I did go to therapy a couple times to help, help just check in and make sure I was okay. Um, because I was definitely traumatized and, uh, that book just kind of helped. It was like the, the cap on everything to say, okay, now then once I finished it, I felt like I could close the book and I had gotten out what I needed to, Um, And I felt okay putting it on a shelf and saying, okay, we've worked through this and I'm always going to miss that baby. I'm always going to wonder what, what they would have been like, but I, I felt like the cloud and the heaviness of the grief had sort of lifted because I had really jumped into it and, and allowed it to be what it is. I allowed myself to grieve and I allowed myself to go there. And I think by doing that, I was able to come out on the other side feeling hopeful. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 You let it move, move through you instead right. of running away. Uh-huh. I'm a big believer that you just let your shit out, you know, Yeah. And talk it out, let it live in the light. You know, life doesn't ha- is never going to be perfect. And I think sharing the honesty of those sad things. And, and if somebody says, how are you doing? Giving them an honest answer. And I would say, today's not a good day or today is a good day. And not feeling bad for taking up that space, which in the past I would have. Yes. Now it's like, no, I'm grieving today and that's yeah. okay. And you can listen to me <laughs> mm-hmm. if you want. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I have a, it's a slight tangent, but yeah. I, I have observed just as women in general, we're not really supposed to take up space. We're not yeah. supposed to be too loud. We're supposed to be small. We're supposed to be dainty. There's there's like this um, cultural thing about not taking up space. And then yeah. when grief happens, it's right. compounded. Oh my gosh. I, I mean, so we did share our pregnancy loss on Facebook and so many people, especially my parents' generation said, oh, that was so brave. That was so brave. Yes. And yes. I remember thinking to myself, fuck that. This is like my own personal protest to the man, you know, like I'm supposed to sit around for 12 weeks feeling like absolute shit, vomiting and being nauseous and tired and feeling like death and keep a smile on my face and keep it a secret. And then when the worst possible thing happens to me, I'm supposed to keep that a secret too. No. All to make sure that someone else doesn't right. feel uncomfortable. Exactly. That's to the prevent only reason. somebody else's discomfort. Yeah. And I just thought, that's not right. I'm not yeah. going to do it. You can look at my grief. Or if you choose to look away, that's okay. Yeah. But I'm not going to hide it for your sake. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that was, man, I definitely felt like that. And I have noticed that too, actually, with my providers. A lot of the, we've, we have started trying again. We haven't conceived again yet. But um, I, I've been to three different OBs because I couldn't get someone to listen to me and acknowledge that 
the trauma and the damage that that pregnancy loss did to me, you know, they always say, well, until you've had three, we're not going to do any special testing. And I'm like, I don't care. I would like some blood work and I am going to need extra attention because I've been through something and you're not going to pretend like it doesn't matter until it's Mm -hmm. happened to me two more times. Mm -hmm. And I finally found somebody who I really trust with my health and my body and my pregnancies in the future um, to listen to me. But yeah, you, you have to take up space. You have to throw that door wide open and say, I'm here and this is where I'm at. Yes. Yeah. Anything else? Um, I just want to encourage people that, one of the big things that really surprised me was how differently my husband and I were going to go through this. I think yeah, really you've touched important. on that a couple times. Let's dive into that a little bit. Yeah. So what was it? Well, you said it took you a couple weeks to like, you know, kind of turn yeah. around and say, Oh wow, you went through this too. But what was different about it? So he, he and I just grieved differently. I, I really looked my grief head on and I, I, once I went through it, I was like, in it. You know, I was a little bit depressed for a few weeks. I I really allowed myself to be sad and to talk about it all the time. And I gave space to the grief. My husband, I mean, he was my caretaker for the first two weeks. Yeah. And he had to be, yeah. And I needed that. And I'm so thankful. He, he just stepped into that role so beautifully. And it was kind of a real reversal for us. He tends to be more relaxed and I'm kind of the one in charge. Um, and I was completely incapacitated mentally and physically. So he really stepped in to just run everything and manage life and take care of me. And um, I think he ha- he didn't have a chance to be sad at first. He was obviously sad and we cried a lot together. And he's a very tender hearted guy and he was very emotional, you know, with me. And he sat with me in a lot of those feelings, but he also wanted to do it in private. And I wanted to talk with him and he, he wanted to have time to process those feelings in private. And it kind of came to a head when we started talking about trying again. I don't know if other lost moms feel this way, but like I, I needed to be pregnant like right away. Even I had, and I was not at all physically ready, but I was like, I need a baby in my stomach now. (laughs) You know, I just had that need and that thankfully has since passed. I think that was probably just a big hormonal or grief trauma thing. I don't know, but he was like totally shook by the idea of trying again right away. Cause he really hadn't even opened up his, his feelings yet. Um, but I went away for a weekend. I just left him at home and, and he, we had gotten a little box with Lennon's name on it that we put some of the cards and little baby onesie that we had announced with our family and some of the special mementos and things in it. And he went through that and went through the grief book that I had written out. And I think he, he just took more time to process his feelings and he needed to do it alone. Um, I, I like, I think I wanted to do it together and that just wasn't going to work. Um, but I wrote a, I have a little blog that I write and I had written a, a letter to my friend grief and I have really come to look at grief as a friend at first, you know, grief like barges into your life and is sort of all consuming, but in time, it kind of just becomes a gentle presence. And I've, I wrote this line that I really learned that grief is both of our friends, but wants to be our friends separately. And 
while we can all get together sometimes, most of the time she wants us each one by one. And um, I think that's been really true for us. And a lot of the other couples I've heard share stories on here is that, you know, it just, as much as you want it to be something that you go through together, it's a very individual journey because you're grieving differently and you're grieving different things. Even though it's over the same person, the same experience, it affects you very differently. So It's a really eloquent way to put something that in the moment can be like, sit down, we need to talk about this. Right. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, that's really good observation. And it really a nice way to visualize it too and make it a little bit external of like okay we're not fighting each other here you just need to do this differently and And it it took some time for me to process that because I was like why won't you talk to me why won't you open up and he's like that's just not how I'm doing you know well, and, and to so, be fair, women aren't supposed to take up space. Men aren't supposed to show emotion. So, yeah, exactly. I mean, we've got a, a whole lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really, really hard. Um, I think it's just something that, you know, it made me worry if it had, like, broken us. I know it didn't. We have a really wonderful relationship. But in, in the moment, I remember thinking, like, oh, no, this has created a, a, a chasm between us. And it's it's not we're never going to be able to bridge this gap. And of course that wasn't true. It was just still a little trauma at the moment, but um, just making sure that I backed off and gave him space to feel his feelings in his own time. And I wasn't rushing his grief was really important. Um, Yeah. And then I guess the only other thing I would say is just letting coming to, I really truly have made peace with, with grief. And like, I am, I'm not past my due date yet. My due date would have been October 24th. Um, and it's August 17th today. And so I just hit the marker for what would have been my third trimester a couple weeks ago. And that was a really hard day. I was sad. And, and of course, you know, you get signed up on baby center and stuff, and I'm still getting emails from some of the people that they sold my information to. So I got an email from, I think, Carter's. It was like, welcome baby home in these cute outfits. And I was just like, oh my God, totally triggered, lost it, cried all day. I really couldn't get it together. And I've just learned that like, sometimes you just have to have those days and you have to give space to the grief and just let it be. And if you let it take up space when it needs to, when it grief comes knocking on the door, just letting it in and saying, okay, come on, sit down. Let's, let's get into it. Then I have more control over choosing when it's time to go home, so to speak. You know what I mean? Yes. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I just feel like I have more, more ability to say, okay, I've had enough now. I'm going to move on with my day. Thanks for the great chat. <laughs> and, you know, I tried to look at my grief more peacefully than like a, a burden. It's more just a reminder of the love that I felt and that I'm missing something and it's okay. It's okay to be sad. I think the the big things that I wanted to share to just try and encourage other people to be really gentle with themselves and give space for those feelings and reach out for help, whether that's to a counselor or to a friend or even to a podcast and yes, getting yes. help by talking things out. It's just um, yeah, it's a really, a really big thing to go through, even though it's over such a small little baby, 
you know, whether it happens right away or later on in pregnancy, it's such a big loss. And I think we need to kind of take that space back um, and really bring it into the light. Hey, you stay connected. Find us on Instagram at Managing Miscarriage, on Facebook at Miscarriage Nonprofit, and don't forget to download the free e-guide on our website, managingmiscarriage.com. Please rate and review this podcast to help other women find us and consider sharing your story. Hang in there, mama.